everybody, this is Josh McKinney, and I just want to welcome you to episode 184 of the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show. So today, we're finishing our two-parter on coaching, and um, if you guys have been with us the whole time, uh, we did for part one on coaching last week. We looked at, uh, then we talked to Chris Payne, one of the best coaches that I know, and got his perspective, and now we're moving on to kind of finishing out this episode on the ultimate guide to coaching jiu-jitsu, and for me, it's kind of everything I know and understand and I find important about coaching jujitsu. And we finished this one with some more random questions. So even though we're pretty specific in the topics that were discussed, we get a little more broad at the end. And so uh, I think that a lot of people would find value to some of those frequently asked questions. Um, and yeah, before we get into this episode, don't forget if you are enjoying the show, if you're enjoying the content that's getting pushed out, uh, if you are enjoying the free content, that it's getting pushed out. One of the best ways to say thank you, one of the best ways to show us is to give us a five-star review. And so make sure that if you are, if you have 30 extra seconds, you hit us with that five-star review and uh, yeah, help change the show, help grow the show. And that's all I have for you guys. Let's go ahead and jump into this episode. And we are back for part two of the ultimate guide for coaching jujitsu. I'm your host, Josh McKinney. I know I already said that at the intro, but I don't know. I was just really messing with the uh, the sweet the screen switcher. You know, being able to switch in between cameras. And if you're watching, you know what I'm doing: pressing all kinds of buttons, making sure that you guys know how much work I put into this freaking studio. But anyway. Let's get in to this episode, uh, or, or let's continue with this episode. So if you guys have not listened to part one, you absolutely should, but I, I honestly, I don't think technically you need to. Uh, it really is an episode that will be able to stand alone, and that was kind of where why I ended it where I ended it, but um, we did have a little bit of a cliffhanger. What if you are struggling with a fixed mindset as a coach. And I'll make sure to explain what that is, just like I said, so these episodes could stand alone. Um, But we talk a lot on this show, and I'll make sure to link the episode. We talk a lot about growth versus fixed mindsets, okay? And so a growth mindset is someone who understands that everything is a developable skill. You don't say things like, oh, you just can do this because you know, you're good at it, right? And I think a lot of people think that. A lot of people think that way of, oh, I can't speak on stage because I am not good at it. Well, yeah, do you think that Tony Robbins was good the first time that he spoke on stage? Or do you think that he was near as good as he is now? Of course not. And it's because he didn't have a fixed mindset. He didn't say, well, this is a skill that I can never possess. He said, this is a skill How can I develop it? How can I get better? And really, that fixed mindset to me is the worst thing that a jiu-jitsu coach can do for their students and for their team, is not be in a place where you realize that things are moldable, things are changeable. Uh, And that is because your students are going to do what you do. That doesn't mean that they're going to always do what you say. A 
a lot of times they won't do what you say. But they will absolutely do what you do. If you treat people in a certain way, your students will eventually treat those same people in that same way. If you, um, man, if you are arrogant, you are going to produce arrogant students. If you are a weenie when it comes to training, you're probably going to produce weenie students. And so the things that you do, and I just, you know, I notice it a lot with with my guys. Um, I had, you know, man, it's just, there, there are so many different things. I think here's a perfect example. Um, so I was trying to make weight for pans last week, and it was pretty hard for me to make weight. Uh, just doing middleweight is just it's almost like that weight class is like three pounds lighter than it would be if it was ideal for me. And so those last two or three pounds are always really hard. They're always my focus in the lead up to the tournament when I'm doing middleweight. But I'm making middleweight and I'm on the, the morning of, and we had been together with the team for like four or five days. One of my students goes, I didn't even realize that you were really struggling with your weight. I didn't even realize that you were, you know, having a tough weight cut. And for me, I just kind of like thought about it. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's true. I really don't mention it. And I know exactly why I don't mention it. It's because my coach never mentioned it. My coach would cut to, my coach is my size. He would cut to 155 pounds when he fought in the UFC. And he never would say a word. And I was always around people that would complain about the diet that they were on, complain about their weight cut. And my coach would just always say, I said I would do the weight class and I will do the weight class. He's like, it's on me. I could fight at 170. He's like, I could always choose to just be there but I don't. He's like, I choose to fight at 155. So you will not hear me complain or hear me try to make you feel sorry for me. And that is a habit that I picked up from my coach. And so when I was not feeling good, when I was like, man, I just want to eat, I would just ignore it. I would just go, yeah, my coach wouldn't say a word about this. So I won't either. And that is uh, just a little example of like what you do you will pass down. But that also means your bad habits will get passed down to your students too. If I don't take teaching my classes seriously, the classes that I show up for, and I just phone it in, eventually my students are going to phone in the training. They're going to be like, yeah, we don't, you were just here to goof off. We're just here to, you know, we're just here to hang out. We're just here to talk. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, I don't care. And so, um, you know, make sure that you, if, if this, if this idea of, you know, passing down your habits, if that is something you want to dig a little deeper on, uh, listen to our episode on habits. I'll make sure to link it in the description of this. Um, but we just kind of did an episode. I think it's called, I was wrong about BJJ schedule. And it's for a lot of people been a really helpful episode for me, learning those things and getting better at them and practicing them a little more and understanding how many things in my life I do that are just habits. Uh, man, that, that episode really was helpful, or at least the content that I learned before the episode was really helpful. And um, I think that with your students kind of understanding, like you're going to, they're going to be you. 
I think that's when it becomes really important to understand the environment that you are building and the culture that you are building. Because we talked about a coach's job in the first episode for the individuals. We talked about how it is not just steering a ship, but sometimes it is steering the ship. Sometimes you have to make big decisions as the coach for all of your members and not just for an individual, right? Um, you know, it's it's really, it's weird as a coach because with a jiu-jitsu environment, with a jiu-jitsu school, what tends to happen is in most schools, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So you can have 200 really happy students and then you hear one complaining about something. And so often the coach will then run to whatever this person is complaining um, and go, oh, well, I, you know, I need to fix this. I need to, you know, everybody has to be happy. Sometimes the coach's job is to look and say, wait a second, the other 199 people are happy and you're not. You may fall to the individual. You may say, hey, well, what could we do you know, that could make you happy. But a lot of times what you'll find is the person that complains in that way and in that manner is always going to be the same person and they're always going to have a complaint. And so a lot of times letting people know that they can go and kick rocks and it's okay, that's like one of the best habits that a coach can have. Because uh, sometimes people are just not a good fit for your school or sometimes they're not a good fit for your school anymore. And um, being willing to say, hey, I am okay with, I'm okay with a few people not liking me so I can make the best decision for my group. I think that those are some of the hardest decisions as a coach, but some of the most important. You know, I've seen, um, I've seen people like friends that I have leave affiliations that they've been with for a long period of time because the morals just didn't match up with the people that were above them and it didn't match up to their school and what they were trying to promote. And just like we talked about before, your students are going to get your habits. They're going to, they're going to look up to you. They're also going to look up to the people in your affiliation. And if the people in your affiliation are doing scumbag stuff, guess what's going to happen? Your students will say, okay, got it. We can do this. We should be able to do this stuff. We can get away with this stuff. You know, or when we're black belts, we can get away with this stuff. And uh, you kind of have to be careful as a coach with that. And so kind of where I'm going with this is the two main things that a coach is going to have to deal with at some point or another, and these are not easy things to deal with. Um, first is kind of like how to get the, the general direction of where you're going to go. You're going to have to make big decisions and they're going to affect people. You're going to move your gym to a new facility and it's going to be a little further from some people. And you're going to kind of, you know, there are a lot of things that you could make big decisions on, you know, you're going to add a new class or you're going to take away a class. And those are really big general decisions but a coach's job is to make sure that they're making the best decision for the majority of their students, right? But then sometimes there are 
there that the other big decision that coach is going to have to make is when to remove people. And this is something that is not talked about often, but I've talked to friends that waited too long and I've talked to friends that are dealing with it now. And I've talked to friends that made the decision at the right time and got rid of people. But when it comes to anything, okay, and this is, I've seen this in different businesses. I've seen this with a lot of my friends. Um, you know, I've told you guys many times on the show, my dad's a pastor. I've seen this in church many times. And I've definitely seen this in jujitsu schools, even my own. Sometimes, whether it's something moral, whether it's, whether it's something, there are times that you know that you've got to make a decision to remove somebody from the team. And it's not a hard, it's not an easy decision. And the frustrating thing when it comes to jujitsu is everything falls on you when you're the coach, right? You chose to be the leader. That's how it's going to go. Having a buffer is really nice. Being able to, you know, if a situation happened, being able for me to be able to talk to my coach and say, hey, okay, he helped me make this decision. That's really nice. But ultimately, the decision's going to fall upon the, the head coach. And being able to say, okay, I know that this person used to be my friend, or I know that this person's been a great student up until now, but what they did or what they've been doing is not something that I can allow. And sometimes, and this is a quote I've quoted on the show before, I always talk about this book, really love the book, um, it is called Essentialism by Greg McEwen. And he talks about one of the quotes in the book is oftentimes saying no means trading popularity for respect. Okay. Oftentimes saying no means trading popularity for respect. And as a coach, as much as we always want to be popular, as much as we always want to be liked by the entire team, it is so much more valuable to be respected by the entire team. And it's so much more valuable to have your team's respect. There are certain times in my gym, in my, in my coaching journey. And keep in mind, I started coaching young. I started my jujitsu school when I was 22. And so I am coaching and leading, you know, 40 year old plus people that have been around. They've worked longer than I've been alive. And I am having to coach and make decisions for them. And there were situations at such a young age that I had to make those type of choices on, do I remove these people? Do I keep them? Do I, what do I do? How do I handle these situations? And looking back now, I'm so happy I did. And my advice to other coaches now is pretty consistent. Sometimes you got to kick people out. And when you do it, they never get to come back. You just set a precedent like, hey, these are things that we do not allow. There have been situations that I've handled and I've handled them for some people would say aggressively. And I look back now and I've gotten to have conversations with like female students that have said, when you handled that that way, it immediately made this place feel more safe for me. It immediately made you know, Head Not HQ feel more safe. And Head Not HQ is not a safe place for anybody. But the fact that I can, I can fall back to that and I can say, okay, 
I know that I made the right decision because I'm glad that this person is a member of my team and I want them to feel safe when they come into the gym. Okay. And so that is, will bring me to the next point. And technically, I guess this is our last point before we get into question and answer. Um, and this is kind of just still on that advice of how to become a better coach. That is build an environment that you and your students love. Obviously, everything I've talked about up until now has been very self-focused on the coach. And almost as if I've been selling like, yeah, you should complete every role at the gym. But something we talked about in the very beginning of the first episode was, or a very beginning of part one, was that when you are building an environment, when you're trying to fill all these gaps as a coach, as a mentor, as an instructor, as you know, somebody who gets people from point A to point B, you're going to need help in making sure that you have an environment that helps people. That's like your most important job because it's one of the few things that you actually have a good amount of control over in your gym. You can control, like we just talked about, whether or not you kick people out. You can control who you're signing up. You can control who you're focused on signing up. Honestly, I will get like kind of messages from people that will go, hey, I'm, I'm really trying to be more of a, of a competitor. I would love to train at your gym more. And um, you know, I'd love to, to switch gyms. Most of the time, I kind of make it like, ah, yeah, you know, we're not really looking for competitors, right? Um, and the reason I do that is because usually when that's asked of me, it's a good grappler. It's somebody who's pretty established already. It's somebody who's like, you know, I just need that coach that would get me to the next level. And to me, when I allow that, when I allow this really good purple belt that can beat 90% of the guys that I have or 95% of the guys even, what's going to happen is whatever habits that they bring into the gym is going to affect our environment. People are going to go, okay, so that's how you should behave. And the thing is, I didn't teach this guy jujitsu all the way up into purple belt. I didn't, he doesn't have my habits. He doesn't have my students' habits or my gym's habits. He's going to come in with something totally new. And I think that that is, and as tempting as it is for so many coaches, like, oh, I can have this new, this shiny new object, this brand new competitor. For me anymore, of course, if somebody does it the right way, and if somebody comes in and I like them and they're helpful on our mats, and I go, oh, they're actually, they're here to be part of a team. They're not just here for selfish reasons. I would approach that totally differently. But most of the time, it's almost sold when you're a coach. is like, well, what can you do for me? Because I can go out and win you stuff. No one cares, dude. You think anyone signs up? You think anyone's walking through Granite City, Illinois, and they're like, oh, wow, they have a Purple Belt World Champion? I'll go and be on their team. Nobody cares. They care about the environment. They care that when they walk into my gym, everybody's smiling and everybody's having fun. And it's then even cooler for them when they go, wait, five or six of these guys are traveling internationally and competing this weekend? That's crazy. And they're like, these just seem like regular people. And, um, and they, this environment is a place that I would love to be a part of and I would love to grow in. And so that brings me to the last point. How do you accomplish that? How do you change your gym environment? How do you change your gym culture for the better? 
And just like we've kind of talked, everything on these two episodes does come full circle. And um, also, quick, quick shout out for you guys to myself. Uh, I actually wrote this episode on a plane. And so ChatGPT had no part in the outline of this Isaka Jujutsu show episode. This is all this is all your boy. That's why it's so much crazier and it makes so much less sense. It's because I have no structure. Um, but anyway, uh, the easiest way to teach your students or to change your gym environment is through jujitsu conversations. And is something we do not value enough is the importance of having conversations with your individual students, the importance of having conversations with your individual coaches. You know, as you grow as a gym, you're going to have more coaches. You're going to have more instructors. And being able to get points across to them and help them grow. I don't think, I think if you went to most of my coaches, most of my students, they would, none of them would have a, an example of, oh, Josh walked up to me and told me what I need to do better and then walked away. Um, sometimes I do walk up to people like when they ask me a question and I'll say, this is stupid. This is the dumbest thing. I can't believe you wasted my time. And then I'll walk away. Um, but usually when it comes to coaching, I don't do that. Usually we have a conversation. If I know that one of my coaches hasn't been solid on teaching something, or they've just been struggling to teach anything new, a lot of times I can solve that by going, Hey, what have you been working on, man? And he'll tell me, and then I'll go, oh, I really like that. Tell me about that. And then we'll dig deeper, and I'll kind of repeat back my thoughts on it. But it's a conversation. It is in no point ever this, like, you should do something differently. And that is because with my coaches, they have, like, 100% freedom. I want them to teach the best ways to get better at jiu-jitsu. That's all I care about them showing. I could not care less how they do it. I want them to know and believe in whatever they're doing. And so for me, a lot of times, as I talk more and more back and forth with them, maybe we seem to be on two totally opposite sides of the spectrum in the way that we teach. And then we conversate for a while. And then all of a sudden, he's tweaked my perspective some, and I've tweaked his. And that is how you... That is how you change an environment at a gym is you have individual conversations. You talk to your competitors. You find out what their goals are. You say, okay, these are the things that you could be doing to help you get there. And they may say, well, why? Why do I do these things? And you explain it and you help them understand what you understand. Because if I can teach my guys what I understand, then they're not going to need to be jumping back to me and saying, coach, well, what should we do about this? What should we do about this? A lot of the times they're able to handle their own situations. A lot of times they're able to, uh, you know, (laughs) they're able to help themselves get better. Uh, I had a, a, a point where I had one of my blue belts coaching me at pans this weekend. And, um, and I, I did give him a negative shout out, so I will give a positive shout out. It was executive producer and terrible friend Bryce Allen. Uh, and he honestly coached me super well in an adult brown belt match against, like, I think the third ranked middleweight in or adult black belt match and like the third ranked middleweight in my weight class. And uh, he's a blue belt. And we were on the same page. How is that? How in the world is that possible? 
it's not because he is black belt level and understanding and that he just knows everything that I know, but he and I have had a lot of conversations. And so he knows what I was planning on. He knows what I cared about. He knows what I wanted. And he knew when I was not getting what I wanted. And so just because we had those conversations, we were able to grow and we were able to get better. And jujitsu conversations aren't necessarily just a coach and a student. When I am having people like deadpan drill, meaning like there's no real resistance and I just want them to figure out a technique, if I'm not hearing talking, I'm annoyed. Like, so you guys just don't care. You guys don't care about getting better. And the reason I mean that is because if you're working knee cuts and you're putting your leg in a weird spot and you ask your your training partner, hey, how does this feel? They're going to be able to go, oh, well, I feel like I could do this or this feels a little easier or, you know, it feels a little better when you do it this way. And you're able to work through so much more than when you're just conversating with yourself, okay? Because that is, to me, the only way to, uh, to, to really understand something, to really kind of decompress from something is either internal conversation me talking to me or external conversation, me talking to you. And the difference with external conversation is you get an external perspective. You get somebody who gets to look from the outside and say, oh, well, this makes more sense. Or even if I'm talking to somebody brand new and I know I won't get anything out of this conversation, I know that they're not going to change my perspective. I can still focus on how I'm delivering and how I'm conveying the information because if they pick it up in two minutes and it normally takes everybody an hour to understand what I'm trying to explain, well, I better remember what I said in those two minutes because that's going to make me so much more efficient and effective as a coach. And I can help other people in those two minutes understand what now this new person understands. And so making sure that you encourage conversation in your jujitsu school, with your students, that is one of the most important things that you could be doing to change your gym culture. Because then you're going to get a lot of free thinkers at your gym. You're going to get a lot of people who are willing to say, hey, this works really well for me. You should try it. And then somebody else, whoever they told to try it, they then try it. And then from there, they share it with somebody else and the idea of it gets shifted a little bit. It gets changed and you're able to get this. You know, I always hear, like I said uh, earlier in this episode, I always hear or, or in the last episode, this idea sounds like a hippie idea to people. So coaches are teaching students. That doesn't make any sense. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if I have 50 people on my mat I could either be the one person sharing information and try to convince all 49 people to learn what I know and what I understand, or I can generalize the idea a little more. I can make us all learn together by focusing on developing a specific skill, or I can make us all learn to better, uh, together by creating a specific problem or a specific scenario and letting everybody focus on it for the night. And not only that, but if you do a really good job, you'll have everybody focused on that idea or that scenario or that problem for six months or a year 
right? If you do a good job of, of steering the ship in the right direction, maybe setting yourself up and saying, okay, well, I want my students to compete at this tournament. And so I'm going to set them up six months out and I'm going to sell it to everybody. I'm going to say, hey, you could all do this. This would be a great experience. If you saved this much money a month, you would have enough money to do this, this entire tournament and you would be able to, to have a blast doing this tournament, right? And you would get better from this tournament. And then what starts to happen is you will get a bunch of guys that will all start to teach each other and they will all start to, one guy goes to a tournament and he comes back and he says, hey, we haven't been preparing right. I wasn't ready for this. And then it tweaks everybody's idea. And then everybody benefits from that one guy going and having an experience. And with that hive mind mentality, it's possible. If you do not have that, if your mindset is fixed, it is not possible. And so, uh, like I said, jujitsu conversations are pretty much the most important thing. And so let's look at some jujitsu conversations that I think are, um, are really helpful to have. I've talked about this before. I talked about teaching at the stronghold jujitsu camp in, um, in Wisconsin. And what was really awesome about teaching at that camp was I got to teach side by side with two other high level coaches being Mark Vives and Chewy. And I made the argument at the end of the weekend that I learned more than anybody else at that seminar. And I fully believed that. And the reason I say that is because I spent every bit of downtime asking Mark and asking Chewy questions about things that I knew that they understood or knew better than I did. Mark is the most active competitor that there is. And I got to ask all kinds of questions about how to be a more active competitor, how to be a better competitor. Chewy's one of the best content creators that there is. I got to ask questions about creating content. I got to ask questions about build, doing better seminars because this dude travels the country teaching seminars. And um, I was able to do those things. And I was able to grow because I saw an opportunity and I just jumped on it. I said, I know for sure that I will get better at jujitsu because of this. Another example, I told you guys uh, just a second, or I told you guys at the end of the first episode, me and um, me and Pirate from uh, Kansas City, we were at, um, at Devin Prada. If you guys don't know, I'll make sure to link his episode in the description of this one. But um, Devin and I went down, and you know, we were at a kind of we were staying in Orlando or we're staying in Kissimmee, uh, Florida. And there is a very big retirement community and where we both stayed, um, there was like a pool and a hot tub in the community. And it was just, if you liked 75 year old, 80 year old women, um, that was the place, you know, and Devin and I have a little bit of tan to our skin. So we were performing really well, um, picking up those 70 plus women, uh, hopefully our wives don't hear about this. Hopefully we can keep that a secret. But uh, during the, during that conversation, Devin and I talked a bunch about competition, talked a bunch about mindset. Not only that, but then start talking about how we're going to get together to train more. And those conversations make such a difference versus if you don't go to it, you don't have that conversation, a lot of times you're going to struggle to grow. You're going to struggle because you're going to find yourself falling into the fixed mindset. You fall into the fixed mindset very easily when you stop learning new things. And 
when you stop having jujitsu conversations, to me as a black belt, this is something, you know, I talk about how black belts play designated winner all the time. And that's why the method, you know, I'll talk about this method and people will go, wow, we do something like that at our school. And it's because when a black belt rolls, a lot of times it is like they're playing designated winner, meaning I know that I get to win every time because you're not as good as me and you only make me have to go 20 to 40%. So it's almost like I am dealing with a 20 to 40% resistance and I can hit what moves I want to hit and get the reps that I want to get. And so um, just like that, jujitsu conversations are, but see, I guess just one step back. That's why I say all these schools kind of figure it out. It's because they're black belts have been doing it for years already. And then eventually the really sharp ones start to go, hey, this is how I train. How could I allow other people to train this way too? And so then you're, that's where the idea of designated winner came from, right? So when it comes to jujitsu conversations, this is also something that black belts do. They do it all the time. If you ever pay attention, your black belt coach, especially if they're used to competing is long, or going to competitions, as long as they're not the guy that hates every single person at the competition or has too many enemies, a lot of times you will see them go and have a few five-minute little back and forths with all kinds of other coaches. Uh, every time I actually got caught this time uh, and they got a picture of us, but I was, I had Heath Pedigo cornered and I was like, perfect. Get to ask him some questions. And I was beating them down on questions. You able, you're able to do that, especially once you get your black belt, you're able to do that at jujitsu tournaments, which is so much fun. But even as a blue belt, a lot of times the upper belts, if you were to just get them talking, ask them questions, ask them follow-ups. A lot of times they end up thinking about your questions deeper than they ever have to think before. And they give you information that they didn't even know they had, right? And so that is the value in having those jujitsu conversations and teaching your students the importance of not just always going to you and not just always saying, coach, 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 you're finally here. Can, can you show me this detail? Like, dude, there are 30 other people on the mat that could have showed you this detail. I've taught this 10 times over the last seven years. There are a lot of people that know this detail and you could be focused on and it would have saved you time and it would help them develop their ability to teach too. And so just making sure that you were having the right jujitsu conversations for yourself to get fed and then teaching your students to do the same thing so they can get fed too. That is what's really important. So let's go ahead. We'll hit a commercial break and uh, then we will finish with kind of frequently asked questions that I get from jujitsu coaches. Are you a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu coach looking to level up your skills to take your teaching to the next level? Have you ever felt like something was missing from your perspective when it comes to learning or training Jiu-Jitsu? Well, we've got some great news for you. We're excited to promote the Three Lenses ebook available for free at simplifyingjujitsu.com slash three. This amazing resource can help coaches fill in the blanks in their, from their perspective of teaching Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. 
In this ebook, you'll learn the three key lenses that coaches can use to better understand and teach jujitsu to their students. These lenses include the scientific, the artistic, and the athletic lens. And what we do is explain how those things even apply to you, how to use them to your advantage, how to identify when a student learns from one of these lenses that maybe you do not teach in or you do not learn in. So if you are ready to take your coaching to the next level, download the three lenses ebook today. Again, it's completely free. It's only available at simplifyingjujitsu.com slash three. So don't miss this amazing opportunity to improve your coaching skills and make a bigger impact on your students. Don't forget, it is totally free. So thank you for tuning in and we'll go ahead and bring it back to Josh to uh, deliver some more jujitsu knowledge to you. All right, guys, and we are back from the commercial break. And of course, for me, the coffee break. Uh, Let's talk about some frequently asked questions for jujitsu coaches. I knew with this episode that it was going to just be impossible to talk about everything. And so I really just focused the first, I guess, hour and 20 minutes of conversation uh, on on kind of the idea of uh, the main ideas of being a coach, uh, being able to create an environment, being able to get individuals where they want to go. Um, but there are other things that really don't, that don't really tie in. Uh, and so I thought it would be better to just kind of do a question and answer format. I have more questions than I probably should. And so uh, this episode could keep going for, for, for forever, I guess. Uh, hopefully we don't make it a three-parter. So let's look at some frequently asked questions for jujitsu coaches. And some are directed at me. Some are more just random that I will answer. And the first one, I really like to start with this, is what is the most important thing that your coach has ever taught you? And so... Um, there are a few things that I look at, you know, when I look back, I mean, there are a million things that my coach has taught me. And I think any, any person who's been around, especially who's been with the same coach for as long as I have, I've been with Kyle for 15 years. And anybody who kind of looks at that and says, yeah, this is the, this is my coach. I've had this guy forever. They've probably learned a million lessons from that person. And I have. So many different habits, so many different, uh, man, just so many different situations I've got to be in that I would have only gotten to be in if I had my coach. And so this is kind of just what I've always thought of as the most important. Um, the, the biggest thing that he always did for me is my coach always inspired me to set big goals. And then he was always big on helping me figure out a game plan to accomplish those goals. And so, um, you know, we talk about the importance of doing, uh, of, of doing things as a coach, of having good habits, and because that's what your students are going to actually remember. That's what they're actually going to notice. And as a guy who is 29 now, this is how old my coach was when I started jiu-jitsu. I started jiu-jitsu 15 years ago. And at the time, my coach was a jiu-jitsu coach, 
and he was also um, training full-time fighting MMA. And he eventually, at this point in his career, he eventually fulfilled his dream. He made it to the UFC. And he did this while building his jiu-jitsu school. And um, this jiu-jitsu school now, that's one of, to me, probably one of the, the biggest and definitely one of the nicest in the country. And, uh, you know, you see that for me. And I see, wow, I have no excuse. When things get hard for me, when I'm trying to do the podcast and I'm trying to run my gym and I'm trying to compete at the highest level, what excuse do I have? I watched a guy do this. I watched a guy from a town in Illinois, even smaller than mine, do this. And to me, that is the biggest thing that my coach ever did was he inspired me and made me say, wow, I could do, you know, anything I can, you know, I can, I can do this. It's not too much. And even if it is, even if I fail, I also watched my coach lose. I watched my coach make it to the UFC and win a fight and then lose a fight and then get cut. And watching how he handled that and watching how, you know, where he went from that, watching one, how he handled the fame that came with it too, didn't change at all. It was the same guy. And uh, I don't know. I just, I look at, you know, there are so many different lessons that my coach actually told me. There were so many different pieces that he gave me that were just so helpful. But when I really look back to what mattered more than anything was just the fact that that guy made me, uh, you know, he just inspired me. He made me say, wow, I could, I could do this same thing too. All right, we'll look at the next question. So uh, how could a coach introduce new training methods to students? Um, so this is, I'm sure, more about talk a lot about um, designated winner lately. We talk also talk about the end goal method, talk about all these different ways of getting better for jujitsu. And I think it's an interesting question. And this might not even be for a head coach. Uh, I could see somebody asking this question because they are kind of a, a junior coach at the gym or an assistant coach, and they are trying to change the way that things are trained, uh, things are trained. Uh, I think the best way to sell anybody on anything is to provide value, uh, is to con convince anybody to do anything is if you give me value to it, if you take designated winner and you sell me on how important it is, uh, and you convince me that it works, maybe you, you know, find something that we all struggle with and see if you can teach us it in a class in, in a single class doing designated winner, see if we can actually get better. Or something my friend Chris Paynes does I really like is he will actually, at the beginning of a seminar, make you try something. And then at the end of the seminar, when he's taught you everything about it, he'll then let you try it again. And you'll always be able to note, wow, I did actually get better. And in jujitsu, it's very uncommon to feel yourself getting better at anything. And so I think if you find a training method that you like and you want to share with your students, just make sure that they get better from it. If you can, they'll try anything. They'll try anything that you're doing. You're, you're the black belt. They're just like, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. Um, or you're the coach, you know, just like, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. So I think one of the easiest things to do as a coach is to go, okay, um, I want to introduce this training method. This is how we do it. 
this is a problem that we have and we're going to see if we can solve the problem this class or this week or this month or whatever. And when you do that, that's going to con- that will be the thing that convinces people. If you help me win more with a new training method, I will do that training method till <laughs> till it goes out of style. And so I think that's probably simplest way um, to introduce new training methods to student uh, to students. What is your favorite way to teach a jujitsu class? So for me, um, I think solving a problem uh, is one of the most important ways, but most important, I always, you know, I don't know. I look at when I'm doing a jujitsu class, it's almost like I'm doing, it's almost like I'm doing a YouTube video. And I always will start with the, the headline and the thumbnail of the video, right? And that's how I teach a jujitsu class. So when I'm starting class, you know, I'll start with, you suck at passing the guard. This is how to do it. Or um, what did I say the other the other day that was funny on our Facebook group? Um, I think I posted something along the lines of like, imagine a world where you can go from bottom side control and get on top. And um, then I said something along the lines of, I live in that world and I want you to live there too. And that was my, that was myself. That was how I sold that class. And of course, attendance was huge for that class because so many people said, yeah, I hate being stuck in bottom side control. I would so much rather be on top. Right. And so then what I did with that specific class was I took it, looked at what skills, what habits that are not techniques really matter for escaping side control. I tell you guys all the time the importance of being able to get on two of your main joints instead of stay on all four, right? So being able to get on a hip and a shoulder, uh, whether towards or away the person or away from the person is going to make you way more defensive. It's going to make your escapes much easier, right? Um, but instead of going over that habit, you know, that's the one we've been focused on for a while. I decided to go over to the habit of keeping your elbows tight and the skill of keeping your elbows tight. Even if you have, even if you're being underhooked, a lot of times you could still just pull your elbow to your body and the underhook's not very effective and it doesn't keep you from turning. And then you can turn and you can start to fight to get on top. And so I explained that how I do it kind of in my order is that first little batch of teaching. I just taught you guys what I taught my students, right? Uh, the goal is to eventually get on our side, but how we're going to do it first is by making sure we keep our elbows tight, um, look at distance creation, things like that. And then what I'll have people do is play designated winner with it. Here's two escapes. Your partner is going to give you like 20% resistance, 10% resistance even because it's such a hard position to learn to escape. And you're going to just get reps. And as you get those reps, then I'm going to finally, I usually will do either like each person gets a three minute go of designated winner or each person gets two three minute goes of designated winner and you go back and forth from there i usually don't have what i'm going to teach next um from there i'm usually watching what's happening and then i'm either going to highlight something that a few people were doing really well or i'm going to fix something that a few people weren't doing well and explain why we fix it and then that's going to be my next thing that i teach so um, probably the first 15 minutes of class has 
gone through, right? I taught for like three minutes. Then we did 12 minutes of designated winner, do a round back and forth, back and forth. And then from there, I'll teach another set of things. And sometimes the second set is bigger and it's more important and we're diving deeper. Sometimes I'm like, I barely need to teach anything. I just need to reiterate a few things and let these people continue to get more reps, right? Because when you are trying to get better at jujitsu, you have understanding and you have repetition. And those are the two things that you need to get better at jujitsu. Oftentimes, we do it this way. Our understanding is watching somebody do a step-by-step instruction of the move, and then our repetition we do through deadpan drilling, meaning somebody's not resisting at all, and I'm just hitting my move over and over. And so that obviously works. It's done a lot of different places. Uh, I know that a lot of new wave people of jujitsu, new age teaching jujitsu people are like, that's so useless, you shouldn't do that. Um, But there are still very, very good people that learn jujitsu that way. Okay, so you cannot discount it. But the reason it works is because it is hitting the understanding and the repetition. Designated winner, all I focus on is the understanding. And then I let my students and I want the understanding to be as simple and as generalized as possible. Because if you understand something, understanding it simply is the most important thing. I don't have my white and blue belts having to learn words like fulcrum and vortex and whatever else, right? No, we use English because we live in a a place that speaks English, right? I want my people to be able to go with what they know already and what they understand about life and give them certain little analogies and little similes that make them go, oh, wow, that makes a lot more sense to me now. And it doesn't make me feel stupid. Because if I can do that, then I can let them get their reps through designated winner. And their reps through designated winner, hey, the goal is to escape side control. If you know a bunch of side control escapes, you have a bunch of options. But you'll find, because we focused on this general idea, even if you're doing something that I didn't teach, most likely you're hitting this general idea. That's the reason for teaching that way, right? And so then from there, we increase the resistance from designated winner resistance because we just did, I show another move, we'll do probably two more rounds of designated winner. If I notice like, man, people looked really good, I might even just increase it from right there and say, now we're positional sparring, or I'll just make the designated winner a little more specific of a game. Maybe the top guy has a deeper underhook now, and then you have to escape. And so something like that. Um, then from there, we'll start positional sparring. Um, bunch of ways that I like to do it. I always like to change things up, make it more fun. Um, One of the main ways I like to positional spar is with top, bottom, out. Um, So everybody has their partner. You're starting in side control. It's first, you know, we'll always set different parameters, but first score submission is usually pretty simple. Um, If we're doing bottom side control, I would say bottom person wins by submission, getting on top or getting to close guard top person wins by submission. That's usually how I look at it. Um, that way the top person's able to move through side control to mount to back take if they want to. Um, and, but they're still trying to finish. Uh, anyway, no matter who wins, top person goes to bottom position, bottom position goes out and there will be a new person that will come in and, and jump in with that, uh, 
um, with the new bottom person. And so that way it's not just winner stays out and the best guys just keep getting reps working side control. Everybody has to work top, everybody has to work bottom, uh, and you're switching partners constantly. And so that's how I would normally do it. And then usually I like to do that up until either 10 minutes left or five minutes left. And then that's when I start our normal live rounds because we have a little bit of time after like our class is only an hour, but usually there's like 30 minutes of mat time. That's just free mat time. And so I like to finish with one hard round, like from closed guard, from wherever, right? Just more neutral round and then leave into class with, all right, guys, if you, I always like this line, I always say, uh, uh, what is it? Darn it. Class is over, but the learning never stops. That's a good one. You guys can use that one trademarked. Um, and then I let my, I let my guys train, right? I let them either hit more live rounds. Sometimes they want to drill. Sometimes they want to ask questions. Sometimes they want to play more designated winner. And it just gives a little more freedom of training. Um, but it also isn't too much freedom because there is, I've noticed that with too much freedom of training, people start to lose focus and you, you lose that hive mindset, that growth mindset that you can kind of have in your gym when you train this way. All right, now let's look at the next question. Who are some of the best coaches you've been around besides Kyle Watson? Uh, man, there's been so many great coaches that I've been around. I think that the biggest thing is um, there are like a million good coaches and kind of being blanket of like, oh, this guy, you know, he fails in this one spot, so he sucks. I think that's not a great mindset to be in if you are trying to get better. Uh, but like, some main things I always, I always talk about how my friend junior is able to see things that no one else can see. Um, when you're at jujitsu tournaments, he's able to notice things. Um, you know, that's a crazy, awesome coaching habit that I always notice. Talk about how Jared, um, the head of tag team, he can read people like you wouldn't believe. And to me, that's also a, a super cool coaching habit um, that I've been around. Uh, I don't know if I, I really don't talk about this much on the show, but like when I was a blue belt, there's a big period of time where I, uh, John Thomas and myself, if you guys don't know John Thomas, uh, he has a, a very popular YouTube channel now. He lives in Sweden and teaches, does the jujitsu lifestyle. Um, but John and I, kind of not that we came up together he was pretty established he was a like a purple belt world champion when we started training together and he had just gotten his brown belt and we trained together for like an entire summer and then off and on um, different points for a few years and he was man just you know for me he he learned jujitsu very well if you guys have the three lenses ebook he really learned that's where i got the idea of what a scientific learner is is by kind of modeling how john thomas learned and um i really got to watch this guy that was from the same city as me make himself one of the best jujitsu competitors and one of the best coaches in the world and so i got to to witness that that was um just such an important part of my journey that was just absolutely huge um some other guys I've been around that have really been helpful. I always reference Mark Vives, getting around him and his guys and his team and seeing how they interact and how they grow. That's been such, that's probably been one of the most valuable parts of us joining TAC team. Uh, if I'm, you know, if I'm being honest about that, um, you know, man, <laughs> there are so many 
good coaches that I've been around, even when it comes to not jujitsu. When I was doing, when I was training jujitsu for the first time a lot we were at an mma gym there were a lot of really great mma fighters that would just you know they knew i was a 14 year old chubby kid and they were like hey i'll help this kid he's in all the time and i got a lot of coaching through that just a lot of really good advice some things that i still use to this day um but that being said it was best coaches besides kyle watson i've been so fortunate with having the best coach, right? Uh, Just having a guy that encouraged me to learn and encouraged me to get better all the time. That was always huge for me. Um, What are some other habits that you notice about these great coaches? Well, shoot, I just answered that question. (laughs) Um, You know, that is like, you know, I I guess I didn't give any John Thomas habits. um, But man, John Thomas was such a when we talked about like going in rabbit holes, that was really where I learned that from, you know, like that in order to really understand something in the jujitsu space with how meta things can get and how hard they can get, one of the best ways to really learn and to really get better, in my opinion, is um, to go on deep dives of things, is to go on excessive focus. I remember, I mean, I knew what Barambola was before anyone in the jujitsu world knew what Barambola was. And it was because... Coparino and um, Hafa Mendez were both doing this, you know, doing this new De La Hiva back take. And John trained with Coparino and he learned a little bit about it. And we spent basically an entire summer dissecting and learning how to do it better. And, you know, really with that scientific idea, method in jujitsu, doing does this work? Does this work? Does this work? And figuring out the best ways to do it. And so that was a huge habit that I learned was the importance of obsessing over things for periods of time that's really if you look at what the end goal method is in jujitsu that's all it is is you obsess for six weeks to six months on a an end goal position and that focus gets you better at jujitsu um what about curriculum i guess this is more about like what is curriculum a good idea to have at your gym um i think yes but i don't think it can be too rigid i don't really think that you should build a curriculum off of specific techniques. I think you should build a curriculum off of accomplishing specific goals. Okay. So for example, right now we're doing guard retention. One of the biggest goals that I talk about when it comes to guard retention is, um, is keeping your upper thighs free of your opponent. If your opponent's touching your upper thighs, it puts you in a lot of danger of getting your guard passed. It's like the precursor of passing your guard. And so then what I teach is the kind of the next order of importance is the idea of getting a grip so they can't pull, get away from you and contacting the hips so they can't get close to you. And really, that's every guard. You know, when you look at every guard, that is pretty much what we are doing in guard. Obviously, when we're playing spider guard or something like that, we're not doing that. But when we're playing spider guard or we're playing lasso, what we're doing is trying to open up the space for the hips. And then we can set up our triangles and our plotters if that space isn't open then it doesn't work anymore, right? And so we're able to take um, guard retention 
and just put it into these big ideas. And to me, that is so much more valuable. And this is, I used to teach guard uh, guard retention with these like specific rules, like always do this, never overextend, always do this. And when I switched to just these simple games and then let my students develop the skills on their own, what started to happen is I had guys that have List, had learned guard retention from me probably five or six different one-month segments over their jujitsu journey. And they were like, I finally understand guard retention. I finally know what I'm doing. And that came because we went against the curriculum. We had that generalized goal, right? That my curriculum is based on goals. I want to teach my students to escape bottom pins. I think it's going to take six weeks. That's what the curriculum is. And I'm going to adjust and change as I notice, okay, they're all getting out of side control, but nobody's getting out of mount. Well, then we're going to spend two extra weeks on mount. And so instead of focusing on curriculum of like what moves are being taught, I think it's better to focus on what things are being accomplished. What goals do you have as a coach? My students, you know, we're going to do triangles for the next month. I could just show you five triangles and show you over and over and make you drill them a bunch. Or I can show you what makes a triangle work, what are common defenses, how to beat them, and then let you get a lot of reps doing it. And what's going to happen is your students will then figure out how to do triangles better and do them better. And so then your job as a coach just becomes, well, how do I steer the whole ship? How do I look at everybody and say, this is the next goal. This is what they should do. And I think, again, back to goals. You start with a big goal. For me, my students right now, uh, um, Master Worlds in Jiu-Jitsu Con, right? This is a big goal that we can set because I have a lot of good Masters competitors. And then all my adults are able to do Jiu-Jitsu Con and all my Nogi guys are able to do Nogi Con and all my kids are able to do Kids Con, right? And so then I'm able to kind of push everything in this curriculum like, hey, we're all preparing for this, right? And so just... Being more goal-oriented and then focus on the, the system that you need to accomplish the goal, uh, I think is so much better than actually having it written out. At three months in, you learn these three techniques, and at five months in, you learn these. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm sure really great schools still do that. Um, but just for me, it doesn't seem like the move. All right, so how do you differentiate between competitors training and hobbyists? So we talked about this already um, in how like, you know, if you focus on skill development, everybody's getting better. And it doesn't matter if they're a competitor or if they're a hobbyist. Um, but I really think that like having individual conversations with your competitors about what they need. Some guys don't need more hard rounds. Some guys literally need less hard rounds and you have to have that conversation with them. Um, some guys don't. Some guys aren't able to make it in as much and they need more hard rounds. And so being able to kind of just have those conversations with your competitors and say, okay, this is where we're trying to get you to. This is how we should do it. I think it's the best way to differentiate between their training. Um, but I wouldn't, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry as much about it. Your competitors, there's going to be a lot, a level of self-motivation from your competitors. Your main job is to make sure that they know what they should be working on. You know, they, a lot of times you don't need to help have your competitors or convince them that they need to grind more. It's just more of a matter of making sure you're letting them grind on the things that matter and the things that they should be. Um, 
Where are we next? Cross-training, opinions on cross-training. Um, I've told you guys this many times. I built a lot of the best competitors at my gym and myself included. I've benefited so much over the years from cross-training. At this point, my cross-training group is no longer really cross-training. We're all part of the same affiliation, but we didn't start that way. We all started on different teams. We all started with different coaches, but we just had a common goal. We all wanted to get better at jujitsu, and we were cool with training with each other to do that. And I think maybe cross-training matters so much less if you train it like a mega gym. If you train at a gym that has all kinds of incredibly high-level people, I notice that my students anymore have to cross-train less. They, it's just not as necessary for them to need to cross-train. And that's not to say that they don't cross-train. I just notice they need to do it less. And um, But still, like I have competitors that cross-train a lot. I cross-train a lot. I go to, you know, obviously, like I said, they're my affiliation, but I go to my coaches and, um, and some of the other affiliation affiliate gyms of TAC team just because I know I need different looks. I know I need hard rounds. And there's something about, like, when you're trying to be a competitor, going to a, a little less friendly of an environment and seeing if you can perform, that feels a lot like competing. And it can really be helpful to get you better at competing. And so I'm big on cross-training. I wouldn't, I don't know, it always turns me off if you're going and cross-training a place and they're trying to recruit you. Um, I don't think, like, I think that if you're cross-training that it should be mutually beneficial somehow. Um, That's the people that I let cross-train at my gym. That's what I look for is that, you know, okay, you're training with us. Yes, you're benefiting because that's why you're here. Is so you can get good rounds, but you better provide good rounds or you better provide good value because that's what my, that's why you're here for us, right? That's the benefit for us. And so, um, if people are like only letting you train and their only benefit is that they hope one day you join their team, I don't know, to me, it feels questionable, um, you know, like if that's what the the goal is. I, again, I don't think there's anything wrong between if you're jumping ship, if you if it's not the right place for you, um, and you need to. And I don't think there's anything wrong if you're a coach and you accept other people who <clears throat> who aren't in the right place or not getting the right fit. But I think it's just something to to pay attention to. It's something to really you know be aware of. Um, so next question: What if changing our training method messes with our business model? That's a possibility. Um, That's why you have to make sure that your training method actually gets people better at jiu-jitsu. People do not complain when they get better at jiu-jitsu. I mean, some people will, uh, but you just kick those people out. You don't have to deal with them. Um, But making sure that you are like explaining and, and disclosing to your students, this is what we're doing and this is why we are doing it. Uh, man, that's going to be so important for most students to just know like, okay, my coach cares about me and they want me to, they want me to get better. They're trying stuff. They're focused on getting better themselves. Uh, I think if you do that, you're not going to lose students. I could be totally wrong about that. I just think that most people like getting better and most people like doing something new. Um, if you have a, a curriculum and a, a training method that is so aggressively 
it's just so good that everybody leaves when you try to change it. Maybe you shouldn't change it. Um, but I just don't see that happening with most places. I think most people are excited to hear that their coach is doing something new and trying something new. And most people are so excited that like, man, my coach is learning with me instead of just teaching me. And it's just, that can be really encouraging. Um, man, this is a terrible question to finish on. How do you handle bad students? So let's look at it like this. I'm assuming bad students means like people that don't pay attention, that don't, you know, whatever. I make sure that I point out that they don't pay attention. I make sure that I point out that like, hey, you're not participating. You're not doing the things you need to. But then besides that, that's my only job. I, I know that like, talk about motivation, right? Sometimes co you can motivate people, but if somebody's a bad student to me, <clears throat> that's probably somebody who's not motivated very well, or, or it's not being motivated by, by anything. One of the best things you can do is let them waste their own time. And, uh, I think that as a coach, when you have a good amount of people, you kind of do have to focus on the people, um, cause you're going to, you have a, a certain amount of time, right? And I think it's important to just focus on the people that actually are there to get better. Um, you know, that actually care because that is going to, that's going to make you better. Um, and also you're not wasting your time. Like, like I said in the, uh, one of, at some point in this rambling that like the squeaky wheel gets the wheat, the grease so much in jujitsu. And sometimes when you're doing that as a coach and you're only focused on the people that whine, you're not focused on the people that are actually there and being consistent and trying to get better. Uh, and so to me, that is like a good student is somebody who's consistent and participates and a bad student is not. Right. And so for me as a coach, if you are those things, you're going to get my time. I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to try to help you. And if you don't do those things, I don't care. I mean, it's, you know, I can only provide so much. And uh, if you're not motivated, if you're not focused on getting better, just uh, as much as it, maybe it sounds rude, but it's just not my problem. Um, and I say that just because I've, I've dealt with it enough times that I've gone, wait, I'm not giving these people attention. And these people are the ones who actually are working hard and the ones who are actually giving me attention and giving me focus, right? So that's who I should be focused on. And so I guess the answer to how do you handle bad students, um, you know, let them suck. You know, that's on them if they ever want to change. And eventually, a lot of times it happens. A lot of times guys will eventually get motivated and say, oh, I'm not doing the same things that all these other guys are doing. And um, yeah, I think that, that is, that's how you handle bad students. And man, that is the last question. So let's finish this two-parter um, with, with a little statement. And that is uh, just if you're a coach and it's hard and it's frustrating and you're like, I don't even know if this is worth it, understand I have a lot of conversations with coaches. They all feel this way at some point, myself included. You're dealing with certain drama at your gym and you're frustrated and you're going, I shouldn't have to deal with this. This is ridiculous. Um, and, you know, it's making you not want to go to your gym. It's making you, you know, that situation is just not good for you. 
sometimes you do have an answer. You know, keep in mind, you have control of your domain. You know, if you're the coach, you are in control of it. And sometimes you just got to kick the wrong people out. And they always say when, when you remove the wrong people, the wrong things stop happening. And so sometimes that's just your answer. But the biggest thing I want to reiterate is I've talked to like the coolest, the best coaches, guys I've looked up to for so long and had conversations with them where I see, wow, you're struggling. This has really been hard for you. You know, you don't want to even do this anymore. You're living your dream. I, I've dealt with it. You know, I, I dreamed since I was 14 years old to run a jujitsu school. And there have been times that I've been like, man, I'm tired of running a jujitsu school. I'm tired of putting up with this stuff or I'm tired of dealing with this stuff. That's part of it. When you have, you know, hundreds of personalities that you're dealing with and they're constantly fighting each other and they're constantly trying to one up each other and get better. And, you know, you have all these different people from different walks of life. There are going to be problems. Try to just handle them the best you can. The more you handle those problems, the more you develop the skill to be able to handle those problems. The more that you can like deal with them quickly and they don't cost you months of sleep. And, you know, that's like kind of the, I guess the, the finishing thought is it is okay if you get discouraged as a coach. It's okay if you cry in your shower. It's okay if you hate all your students. It's okay if you want to sell your gym. It's okay if you even do that and you do end up leaving and you do end up doing all those things. Just know that if you're a coach, there are people whose lives you greatly affect. And so sometimes you have to just eat the negative. You have to just eat the bad stuff. You just have to move on. You have to keep doing what you were called to do. You've got to keep coaching. And so that is being mainly because I'm losing my voice and I've been talking for way too long. That's all I have for you guys today. Uh, let's go ahead and close this episode out. And that is the episode. Thank you guys for watching this one, listening to this one. Um, I hope that you got something out of it. Just over these last uh, this last week, where we've done three episodes in the last week, hope you guys get something out of of kind of get some growth out of this episode. I know a lot of coaches and a lot of higher level belts will probably be listening to this one. And so um, make sure that if there's something that you enjoyed, that you have some jujitsu conversations about it, that you use some of the methods that were taught to help yourself continue to learn and to continue to get better. But remember the big thing we talked about um, in the beginning of this was if you are listening to an episode like this, if you're listening to podcasts on learning to be a better coach, then you are doing exactly what you need to do. Uh, remember that advice that was given to Mike Matheny was to learn something new every day. And that was the only advice given. And so for you, what you're doing right now is learning something new every day. Uh, give yourself a pat on the back and, um, yeah, just continue focusing on growth. If you guys ever have any questions about anything I talk about on the show, if you ever have any 
guest suggestions or episode suggestions, things you would like to hear me discuss or talk about, send me an email, josh at simplifyingjujitsu.com. You can always follow me on Instagram and me not respond to any message that gets sent to me. You can always participate that way and follow me at the Josh McKinney. But if you actually want a response, the best way is josh at simplifyingjujitsu.com. And that is all I have for you guys today. Uh, We will continue next week on well shoot i don't have written down what we're going to talk about next week i guess you and i are just going to be surprised and so that's all i have for you guys today i hope you enjoyed today's episode and most of all i hope today's episode helps you guys suck just a little bit less at jujitsu have a great day guys